Since the start of the pandemic, misinformation and conspiracies about COVID-19 or the government response to it have spread widely online. But a new report from the Federal Intelligence Service suggests that extremist groups could be using that worldview to recruit and attempt to destabilize government. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Ottawa citizen writer Tom Spears joins me to discuss the groups the Intelligence Service is warning about, what kind of messaging they're spreading, and why experts are concerned. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Tom, one thing that we've seen over the last few weeks, due in part to this trucker convoy, this so-called freedom convoy, it's raised in the public consciousness the idea that there are some people out there who are not only against public health measures, but are using opposition to those to further their own ends. And I, you know, I was following along with a bail hearing of some of the people arrested and charged as being organizers of the convoy. And it was some really eye-opening stuff. And this is something that the intelligence community has been looking at for a while as well. And you got your hands on a report recently from Canada's Security and Intelligence Service. What was it that the report had looked into? Well, a lot of things. I do a lot of access to information requests, and this turned out to be a sort of a mishmash of many different papers from a two-year period, all of calendar 2019 and 2020 from CSIS. And the part that interested me the most sort of surfaced late in the game, end of 2020, so a little over a year ago. The pandemic is about, oh, six, eight months old in Canada by that point. And they say that what's happened with a lot of the violent extremist groups... Earlier, they are talking in the documents about things like Al-Qaeda and ISIS and and neo-Nazi groups. But then late in the year, they add in that some of these violent extremist groups are welcoming the pandemic and saying, hey, this is a great tool. We can use this and we can exploit this to scare people, to spread misinformation, to recruit new members. So this becomes something that they are actively using as a a brand new shiny tool that was just a gift wrapped opportunity for them. And so essentially they're playing off the fears of people, not of the pandemic itself, but of an overreach of government. Like what is the findings of CSIS and what are they saying that these people are trying to do? Here's one just brief summary. It's only, I think, three sentences. I'll just read it. Okay. Violent extremists have exploited the pandemic and government response measures, capitalizing on public fear, distrust, and socioeconomic unrest to boost radicalization efforts and to incite acts of violence. Many violent extremist groups and individuals have adapted conspiratorial beliefs about the pandemic that rationalize their radical worldviews and justify violence. So this is what they're trying to do. It's, it's spelled out in pretty plain English. Mm-hmm. And as I said, it expands the targets that have been listed by CSIS before are things like government figures, military people in uniform, mass casualties if you plant a bomb somewhere. Now they're adding in healthcare workers, vaccination advocates, vaccination clinics, hospitals. So it's, it's a real sort of a change of approach, an expansion of approach, I guess I should say, by the violent groups. And who are these groups that we're talking about? I mean, it's easy to point to a group like ISIS, even though people may not know who actually makes up ISIS or neo-Nazi groups. Is it kind of a, a more loose collection of extremist groups or does the report get into that kind of detail? It names some of them. There's one simply called The Base, there's one called the Atomwaffen Division, uh, which is a Nazi group, and QAnon. It says QAnon is uh, sort of 
adapted its beliefs to this too. They talk about QAnon being the well-known group that believes that there's an elite group of pedophiles who kidnap and murder children. And somehow they adapt that into vaccination conspiracy theories as well. Why is this seen as an effective tactic? Is it because there was already distrust brewing related to the pandemic? There were people already saying, oh, the pandemic's not a big deal, or there were people already believing it was a hoax, and they were able to glom onto that? Or is it because we live in a world where there's a there's so much misinformation out there on social media about politics and science and all sorts of things that people are more willing to believe that there's a vast conspiracy out there? Well, that too. But, you know, a lot of these groups have tried to recruit people before and not really been able to do it in large numbers. However, when they are able, as you say, to glom onto something that people are really unhappy about, which is restrictions on their activity because of the pandemic, that gives them a foothold, that gives them traction in a real life setting that affects millions of people. So instead of just talking broadly about, oh, tyrannical government or something like that, now they've got something that affects Joe and Jane public at home. You talk about being able to attach or recruit people into the idea that there are these conspiracies out there. When you put it into practice, what kind of messages or narratives are they spreading? Is it the vaccines are poison? Is it the pandemic? Is it just a flu? It's a hoax? Is it the government is putting in these restrictions to control you and bring about some kind of global government? Like, (laughs) what kind of narratives are spreading related to these? Well, I think the basic uh, answer is yes, 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 and yes. (laughs) CSIS identifies four what they call common conspiracy narratives. One, there's a threat to liberty and freedom. Mass vaccinations are the first step of governments trying to establish the new world order. And if you don't get vaccinated, they're going to round you up and put you in a concentration camp. Two, Vaccines are unsafe, they haven't been tested properly, and you shouldn't trust them unless there are vaccines from either Russia or China. I don't know why Russia and China, because <laughs> these guys also, for some reason, they figure that the Chinese are giving us good vaccines at the same time as the Chinese are trying to take over our country. I don't know. It doesn't always make sense. Three, the vaccines are going to hurt you, they're going to cause illness, or they carry little microchips that the government is implanting in your body to track you. And number four, that there is no need for them. There is no real pandemic. This is just an opportunity for rich corporations to get richer. Yeah. So pick one. Gotcha. What is the end game here for some of these groups? I mean, obviously within pandemic policy and within the last two years, there's been room for debate around some restrictions are good. Other restrictions may be, you know, too harsh. The issue that supposedly started this trucker convoy was that, there's no need for truckers to be vaccinated if they're crossing the border because they're not a big driver of virus. And 90% of the truckers are vaccinated and 90% of the public is vaccinated. So why do we need this mandate in place? So there's, there are these policy discussions. But the the extremist groups don't care about that. They don't care about the border. They don't care about trucking. They are looking for to get a foothold, to expand their ability to destabilize our society. When the truckers' convoy came to Ottawa, there was a brief discussion by some people about, yeah, these border issues, and it it makes it harder for them to do their jobs. But look how fast it expanded into attacking the healthcare system generally, driving past the Bruyere, which is partly a palliative care hospital, harassing people going in and out who are trying to visit their dying relatives, blowing horns to disturb the patients there, phoning in bomb threats, flooding the 911 system with phony calls, attacking people in the streets, tearing their masks off. Mm-hmm. This is not really about border issues in the end. And then just harassing the people of Ottawa just for living here, just blowing those endless air horns. 
sometimes up over 100 decibels, all day long and deep into the night. And then at night, firing fireworks up at the windows of the uh, high-rise condo and apartment buildings. You know, none of that has anything to do with legitimate debate about border issues. We'll be right back. The one thing I get stuck on is this idea that there are these groups that are concerned about some shadowy government that wants to control everybody. But at the same time, these groups seek to destabilize our society to have a government of their own to control everybody. Like, I know we mentioned it earlier. There's, you know, some of these don't always make sense, but does CSIS understand the contradictions in this or do these groups even understand the contradictions in this? I don't know. And, and, you know, CSIS points out there are a lot of different groups with different beliefs, but they do have a common cause of just wanting to destabilize society and in particular destabilize government. And you're right, the, the kookiest things. This week, the office of the secretary to the governor general had to actually take to Twitter to counter one of these weird, weird rumors. People think you can have a write-in campaign and overthrow the government. And so they put out on Twitter that their office is aware that misinformation encouraging citizens to contact the governor general or our office to register votes of no confidence is circulating. This information is not correct. No such registry or process exists. Yet the various destabilizing groups have persuaded a lot of people that, yeah, if enough of us just sign a sheet of paper, they'll dissolve the government and guess who gets to take over. <laughs> Weird and kooky, but but you've got people screaming and getting pretty physically aggressive to back up this bizarre belief. I laugh about it because it sounds really out there and kind of silly to think that if enough people sign a piece of paper that the governor general can just dissolve parliament. But I mean, this is the kind of thing that has national security experts worried, right? I mean, you spoke to one for your story, Stephanie Carvin, and she specifically pointed to the organizers of the trucker convoy. What's the link for her between, you know, what CSIS is saying and the groups that were involved in blockading Ottawa for several weeks? She sees, and and a lot of us see, that the rhetoric coming from the protesters or the occupiers, people here in Ottawa don't call them protesters anymore. They call them the occupiers. Mm -hmm. You know, protest is a legitimate thing. The convoy people will call them. Their rhetoric exactly copies the rhetoric of the extremist groups, framing it as the government is, they keep using the word tyranny. Well, tyranny is what the, you know, the Adam Waffen division and stuff would call it too. Talking about how they are promoting freedom that kind of thing. And there's more like that, but tyranny versus freedom and overthrowing the government. And it just, the truckers were using the exact rhetoric that CSIS identified a year ago as coming from violent extremist groups. That has to be alarming. The one thing I wonder, and it's not a commentary on whether the government was right or wrong in bringing in the Emergencies Act. I know that there's been a lot of political debate about it, and that's not necessarily where I want to go here. But you have these measures come in where the police can force these people out, can arrest them, can, you know, freeze bank accounts of organizers or donors. Does the government unintentionally play into the hands of these extremist groups or give them more firepower for their message for people who would buy into it by taking these measures and allows these groups to raise the specter of tyranny and all of that. Even though you and I may know that it doesn't rise to the level of tyrannical governments, for these groups, it gives them, say, evidence for their cause. Sure. And we're already seeing that. We have Fox News. There was a a commentator on Fox News 
saying that the conditions of living in Canada right now are identical to living under Stalin or Hitler. <laughs> and there's the interviewer nodding. Uh-huh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they know how to play into it. There was one point near the end of the occupation when the police were sort of standing in a line and every now and then they'd move so many steps forward and just slowly force the convoy people backwards and backwards and finally out of the core of the city. At one point, two women go up to the front of the crowd, kneel down on the ground with their backs to their police and their hands behind their heads with a very frightened expression on their face. Somebody gets pictures of them, then they go away again. So this (laughs) then goes out on social media. Look at the police brutality rounding up these poor women. They're good at using this, and I'm sure they will continue to use this. The PR thing seems to work pretty well for the occupiers, the protesters. For instance, when they go around wearing those yellow stars of David saying, we're oppressed like the Jews. Another guy was carrying a a sign, we're like Rosa Parks. Mm -hmm. They are able to promote themselves as victims at the same time as they are attacking people. Is there a concern that this could lead to real world violence on the part of some of these groups? And I know that there was the fear of that at one of the border blockades in Coots, Alberta, where police say that a handful of people related to the blockade were found with a cache of weapons and were charged with conspiracy to commit murder of police officers. Like, is there a fear that that kind of threat is just going to grow? I don't know CSIS well enough to talk about that. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I just won't try and guess, but certainly have, in the minds of the people of Ottawa, I would say that would be a concern that nobody would have thought of a month ago and is a very real concern now, sure. Yeah, I mean, you're out in Ottawa, right? Like, yeah. what was the last few weeks like being in that city? And now that the blockade is cleared, is there a sense of relief in Ottawa? Or there's is there concern that, you know, if the police let their guard down, similar groups may just try and set up shop again? A huge relief. These people were seen by us not as protesters, but as violent thugs. That's very, very widespread in this city. And I don't even live downtown. I didn't have to listen to it. But they were physically attacking people in the street, including a lot of TV uh, broadcasters. A guy would be doing a stand-up on camera. Mm -hmm. Somebody would just run over and knock them to the ground and walk away laughing, pulling masks off people, that kind of thing. As for, you know, the future, yeah, it makes us worry. I think that's a very good way to sum it up. It's something that definitely has captured the attention of the country and curious to see the process for the charges against some of the organizers and what happens with some of this division and some of this rhetoric from these groups from here. Tom, thanks for your time. Okay, you're very welcome. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Tom Spears. More from him at ottawacitizen.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>